Welcome to episode 84 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Diane Sherwood. She served in the Air Force during Vietnam, and she was a jet engine mechanic on F-111 fighter jets, and she ended up being stationed in Idaho and loved it so much, she stayed in Idaho after she got out of the Air Force. She lived there for 20 years, and then she and her daughter moved back to Minnesota, where she was born. She currently works as a waitress, and she also has a nonprofit organization called Remember Rally that she started after 9-11, and they do events to honor military and first responders, and their big project that they're working on right now is to build a veteran's memorial in her hometown of Laverne, Minnesota. So it's another great episode, and I'm sure you're going to a lot, so let's get started. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Diane. I'm excited to hear your story. Thank you very much for talking with me. Let's dive in and go way back to why did you decide to join the military? Well, it wasn't something that I actually, you know, talked about or thought about at all, like in high school. After I finished high school, I went to Votech School for Fashion Merchandising. And then I worked a year, and then literally it was almost like a, an instant thing. For some reason, I decided to join the Air Force. And at the time, the only possibility that was available was to be like a dental assistant. There wasn't many openings for jobs in the Air Force. So I signed up, and it wasn't until I got down to basic training that I found out about the opportunity to be a jet engine mechanic. That's really cool. So when you enlisted, you thought you were going to be a dental Assistant? Yeah. You know, they had most of the women were, because this is back in the 70s, most women were in either clerical or medical fields. And when we were down at basic training, there was a gentleman that actually came into uh, the women's dorm one day and says, okay, he says, who would like to be either a jet engine mechanic or a helicopter mechanic? And some of us just kind of looked at each other and we raised our hand, didn't have a clue what we were getting into. And it took off from there and I absolutely loved it. So um, for a while, I was the only female on our base that did this work. Yeah, so you were one of the first to be a jet engine mechanic who was a female. Yes, especially at our base. Otherwise, too, I don't know nationwide how many there were because this is something that we were, they were really introducing to get women into avionics and to the mechanic field. And a friend of mine chose helicopter, and I was a jet engine mechanic. And so, of course, we had to go through special training. So after our basic training in Texas, then I was up in Illinois and did my training for the jet engine mechanic work. And then I got stationed in Idaho. So what was it like to be a woman in a career field that before had been all males? And you said at one time you were the only woman working in that job. 
I wasn't quite sure what to think. I grew up on a farm, so I was used to being around men. But of course, into something like this, when you're in the Air Force, when you're in the military, it's totally different. They were absolutely wonderful. I can remember when I first would walk into like where we would go eat, what they called the chow hall, uh, a lot of eyes were on me because I was the only female in green fatigue. But the gentlemen there that I worked with were wonderful. Think so much as in how you present yourself and your attitude. I worked in a hangar with 60 guys, and I was the only female. But I always made sure that I did my own work, and I carried my toolbox, and I didn't expect to be treated differently. And I had respect from the guys literally from the very beginning. That's such an encouraging story to hear because sometimes I hear stories where they aren't given the respect and they have to work really hard to earn it. So it's great that you were given, that you got to go to a place where they were able to give you that respect and you were able to do your job. Yes, like I said, I had just wonderful guys I worked with and so talented and, you know, they were very willing and able to, you know, help teach me anything that I needed to know. And of course, I always, you know, tried to stand up for myself and, and try to learn everything too. And we, I started in what was called in shops. I worked, you know, inside a hangar. And after the first year, I wanted to go out to flight line. And again, of course, they never had a female do that. So we had to go all the way up to the shop supervisor and then even the commander of the base to get that approval. And so I got to go work out in the flight line, which I really enjoyed. Again, just a, a totally new experience. That's so cool. And to be doing that as like one of the first women to do that and lead the way. And I mean, it's just crazy to think how much change has happened since the 70s to today and it all started with the work that you were doing so that's really cool thank you you know and so many women now they do it every kind of field and you see the fighter pilots and you know like I said basically in every field imaginable and so many wonderful talented women that are out in the country right now doing wonderful work yeah that's really cool so did you stay at Boise your whole time or Mountain Home? Oh. Yes, I yes, I did. I did have a TDY, which is, you know, a short term, and that was just a couple weeks up in Alaska. We had to go up there and help work for a while. That was in January. We were up at Fairbanks, and it was like 40 below zero, and we landed. And it's very different because, like I said, in January, it's dark almost in so if you didn't happen to be out during the middle of that afternoon for that short period of time, it was dark the whole time. Uh, so I did go up to Alaska for a couple of weeks. So what was that experience like? It was cold, but were you able to adapt to the new environment and get the work done for the, the mission that you guys were working on? Definitely. And, you know, there's only a few of us from our shop that were up there. So we had to cover 24 hours shift and so I would work the day and then two or three guys would come in for like swing shift or to work to the night shift. I did get to see like the northern lights. There was only one day that we got to actually go off base to see anything because otherwise it was basically work related. But again just a wonderful experience, very different. You know when we were up there our planes weren't used to that kind of cold and so like we even have some of the lines, the drain lines that were freezing. So, you know, I would have to go out there, you know, in the middle of the flight line and go under the plane and drain the lines, you know, and rewire them up because oh, that is something our plane just wasn't used to. 
So again, I was very fortunate that we had some very experienced guys to help, again, you know, kind of guide me and say, okay, we have to troubleshoot things that we weren't used to experiencing when we were in Idaho. So what was it like to be a woman? You can go all the way back to boot camp or just your time in the military during the Vietnam era. Again, I think sometimes we appreciate it more after we've left. You know, I understood about the Vietnam War. I did not serve in theater. Uh, When we were there at Idaho, there were some guys that were coming back either from Vietnam or even Thailand that had been stationed there. So we would hear about it, you know, and understand or understood um, the gravity and the depth of that. But again, I think just as a human and as a veteran, I think that it even hits me more now. You know, I truly understand, you know, what a horrible war it was and how they were treated, our soldiers, when they came back. Right. So you feel like you were a little bit protected because you were on the base and you didn't experience, did you experience any type of like negative interactions with civilians ever? Not at all. And again, I just, I'm not sure if it was happens in the base that we were at. You know, it it wasn't the largest base, so maybe because it was a smaller base or maybe it had just happened, you know, the the state that we were in. I'm not sure what it is, but everyone was very respectful there. And no, I personally didn't, and I don't think I even observed anyone that was treated badly or had negative comments or anything like that from the Vietnam War where I was stationed. That's good. It sounds like you had the right people to work with and the right community around you that made your experience in the military really, really good. It was. Yeah, I said very positive. And when I was working on Flightline, I worked grave shift. So I worked with a very colorful gentleman. They could make me laugh at two in the morning. But again, so talented. And many of them had been there for years. So, boy, they knew what they were doing as far as that field of jet engine mechanics. So it was truly an honor to get to work with those guys. So I want to learn a little bit more about what you did as a jet engine mechanic. So, like, what exactly does that mean? And you were working on the F-111 fighter jet. So, like, were you guys doing everything to keep the jet in the air from, like, I guess essentially, like, oil chains to, like, big maintenance projects or what was your job exactly? Yes, we'd do anything for the plane as far as the engine type of thing. You know, there were special people who did, you know, the the bomb work and there was aviation and and avionics, I'm sorry, um, and different things like that. Ours was the jet engine. So what was called build up and tear down, you would either, you know, put a different engine in or tear it down or fix it. And then there was always somebody from quality control that after you did all of your work on the engine, they would come through. And almost do like an audit type of thing on it. And they would check to make sure that, you know, everything was done correctly. And because obviously these were multi-million dollar planes and the safety of the pilots was, you know, at risk there. So there was always quality control that would come through and check everyone's work. And then when I worked out on the flight line, then I actually got to go up into the cockpit and do what's called a run up on them. So I got to start up the plane. You know, I didn't actually fly. We didn't uh, fly the plane. It was grounded. But I got to do that. So that was, um, again, another wonderful experience to to be able to, you know, get up there and sit in the cockpit and start it up and take it through its test, test run. Yeah, that sounds really cool. That sounds like 
so much fun. <laughs> That's your job. It was because, you know, at night, because we was working grave shift, you had take it into afterburner. So that, you know, you could see that light shooting out the back of the engine. It was just absolutely beautiful. So uh, quite experience to do something like that. I truly enjoyed that. So it sounds like overall you had a good experience in the military. Did you face any struggles while you were serving in the military? You know, I have to be very honest. I did not. You know, I know that maybe some women have or maybe even just other, you know, soldiers have. I did not have anything. I didn't have anything as far as being a female or being a mechanic. Uh, We had a wonderful base that we were on. Mountain Home was wonderful. And I know that it has grown some since I was even there. But again, I think it was like a, you know, smaller type of thing. It was more home type feeling. And um, people were very wonderful. And then the town of Mountain Home was like 10 miles from the base. And so we would go into town, you know, to go out and to eat or drink or whatever. And again, a very supportive community. So I can honestly say I really did not have any negative experiences. That's really great to hear. Did you have any favorite memories? I know we talked about a a few of the cool things that you got to do, but is there any like favorite memory that sticks out that we haven't touched on? I think just being able to do things with all the people that you worked with and have to be just with the people like in the hangar I worked with, but all the women I met, you know, in the dorm and other people that you got to meet from other fields too, because Mountain Home was a smaller situation. And just the things that, like I said, to go out and do things or to go on vacations. The first time I really got to get a feel of what Idaho was like is some of the guys asked me if I wanted to go deer hunting with them. And again, I thought, oh, my goodness, is this something I want to do? And so I said, you know, sure, let's go. And we were going to go one weekend. And we were driving down this road. and We came around this bend. And all of a sudden, I could see these mountains and trees and the rivers. And that's when I absolutely fell in love with Idaho. All of the West is beautiful, but I think that really kind of gave me the bug to, you know, want to travel more and and to go out and do things with the people that I met there. Yeah, I think the people in the military and with anything, even with the podcast, the people that I've met and the experiences that I've got to do because of being in the military and traveling and seeing different things, that's... That's the part that I remember the most. And so uh, that doesn't surprise me. That really resonated with me when you were talking about like doing stuff with the people that you worked with. And I was like, oh, that brings me back to when I was a second lieutenant and we were, you know, it's the first time I was really out on my own and seeing the world. So. And then, you know, I still keep in touch with some of them. I still have some friends that some live in Idaho. Some have, you know, I'm in you know, different states and things like that, but we still keep in touch with each other, either with emails or, you know, call occasionally or Facebook or whatever. But I still keep in touch with some of those people from the 70s, which is, again, is quite remarkable. Yeah, with thinking about how much the technology has changed in the past, well, just in the past 10 years, and but thinking like between the 70s and now, it's amazing that you still have those connections. Yes. And again, wonderful people, you know, they sometimes people say, oh, if it's a true friend, you don't have to see them for years. But if all of a sudden you either saw each other or talked to each other, it would be like no time has passed. And I think that's with some of these military friends. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Even if we don't get to see each other, you know, if we either visit or 
email or whatever. It's like no time has passed. And if we saw each other right now, I think we could just, you know, pick up the conversation. Yeah. And it's kind of cool. One of the things that I've had experiences in this past year is I've got more involved in the veteran spaces, even if we're not like we don't know each other, but we both are veterans. It's still like you can just talk about forever and it's really cool. So what the yes, military does spe- yeah kind of a special bond or just a special type of people you know you watch each other's back and like I said just some really strong friendships and, and great people so why did you decide to leave it sounds like you love being in the military why did you decide to leave the military behind I think after one term it was just you know to the point in my life is like well I want to try new things and do new things And some people asked, you know, well, why didn't I do, you know, mechanic work like at an airport, you know, for civilian? Um, Again, I would have had gone back to school for a couple of years to get my A&P license. And I think I just decided, you know, I wanted to do some other things. Great experience. But again, I think I would have had to probably move to a very large city at that time, you know, in the 70s to do mechanic work. So if you work for an airport, it might have been like a Los Angeles or a Denver or whatever. And um, I kind of wanted the smaller community type of situation. So what did you end up doing when you left the military? I've done so many different kinds of jobs. I've done construction. I've done secretarial work to fundraising. I've had quite a variety. Uh, many times I've worked two and three jobs at a time. So, again, just a, a variety of different kinds of jobs. And then after you left the military, you didn't really get involved in the veteran community, or did you? Not for a while. Um, again, you know, you get busy working and buying a house and, you know, having a child and all those different things. And then, But then after 9-11 is when things kind of picked up again. And after that is when I started my nonprofit organization, Remember Rally. And what was it about 9-11 that kind of like dry? It was it like the, the event of 9-11 and the timing being right? Or what was it that drew you back into the veteran community so that you started your nonprofit? You know, I think so many people were touched by that day. And I can remember trying, you know, within days afterwards, um, I knew that people were going to be getting sick from all the chemicals and toxins, you know, when these buildings were burning, when the Twin Towers were burning. And not that they wouldn't already know that, but I tried to make some contact, you know, and call different government offices in New York and some fire stations or try to get hospitals, try to get through to them and couldn't really get through because they were so busy. And I was, you know, sitting here in Minnesota. So I thought, well, how can we help or what can we do? And so I started doing research on chemicals and toxins in military and first responders. But then we also decided um, to start doing some small fundraising situations. And so we had a motorcycle event here in Laverne, Minnesota. And then we gave the money to Mount Sinai in New York to help with the rescue workers. Um, From there, I was just very fortunate. I made a few trips to New York. And I actually got to meet some of the rescue workers that were working down at Ground Zero. And we did a short documentary on the health issues from 9-11. And things just kind of took off from there. That's really cool. And I think I think one of the things I've learned is that maybe, I don't know, but for me, I feel that when I started giving back and getting involved in the veteran space, that it really like filled me up in a way that the military kind of filled me up before. And I kind of was missing that. And then 
to see that 9-11 happened and it moved you. And so then you took action. That's really, that's really awesome that you were able to get involved and to make some positive changes. Thank you. And and don't you think that a lot of veterans, you know, and I think maybe, and I did not serve over like in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam. So I think that's a whole different situation. But I think many times when veterans are done with their service, they still have this feeling or this desire to help others. And like I said, with the 9-11, that just kind of happened to be, you know, the timing or the situation for me. And many people after 9-11 did join the military. And so it just kind of went hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And so we've just done different events over the years. And one year we had Stacy Pearsall. She's a military photographer, combat photographer. And we brought her here to Laverne. And she did the photos of our local veterans. And she spoke at the school. And then she spoke at a, a public event. And so things like that. And that was wonderful. We had a really good reception for that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think veterans, after they've served, they still have this desire. And I think a lot of times we don't really realize what that is. Like, you can't really pinpoint it, but then when you find what you're supposed to be doing, it just kind of like, I don't know, it like brightens the room is like kind of the way I've been saying. It's, it just fills you up in a way that you didn't even know that you were missing. You know, something I think clicks within us is, it's something like we kind of know what's right. It's just like I hadn't planned in high school to join the Air Force. So I spent two years, you know, going to school and working. And all of a sudden, literally, it just kind of clicked one day. You know, and even with the 9-11 situation, it's like, I'm not sure why God picked me to, to go and start working on this. But I was very fortunate that I got to go to New York. And the people of New York were absolutely wonderful and amazing. It opened their arms to me. Uh, the first trip I made, I actually stayed with one of the rescue workers and his family. They invited me to stay there. Never met them before in my life. And they opened their home to me. And I stayed there for two or three nights. And again, we got to go, Mark and I got to go down inside Ground Zero. And, you know, he showed me around and different things like that. And even when we did the documentary, you know, the filmmaker and the, the photographers, everything, they just opened up and were so willing to help us. Yeah, that's really cool. So what made you start Remember Rally? Um, again, it was after 9-11. You know, that's when we decided because if we wanted to either do events or raise money or whatever, we felt that we needed to be a nonprofit organization. Okay. So what are you guys doing today? Our current project, and one that we're probably the most excited about, is we want to build a large veterans memorial here in Laverne, Minnesota. Uh, we want to have a full-size replica of the Vietnam Wall, monuments for 9-11 that list everybody who died on 9-11, monuments for Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, other conflicts, and then also an education center. So why do you guys want to do that? Um, again, it's just kind of almost like the timing is right. You know, not everybody can get to D.C. to see all the different monuments. And so with us being, you know, almost dead center in the United States, it's a great way for people traveling either east or west that they come to something like this. Um, I think it's important that we do honor people. Um, you know, one time I was talking to someone about Agent Orange from Vietnam. She had never even heard of the word Agent Orange. 
So we want to make sure that we aren't letting certain things in history lapse, that people don't know about it. So in the education center, of course, we'll have you know displays and dioramas, but a lot of information. So for Vietnam, it would be the war itself, but Agent Orange, you know, and POW camps, things like that, that, you know, we don't want people to forget in history. Yeah, and that stuff is so important that we document that history, because I think one of the things I hope that the podcast can do is, like, bridge the gap between civilians and military, because, like, when you were talking about they didn't know what Agent Orange, I'm like, how? Like, I know what it is because, you know, my military connection. And I I think that if anything we can do to help bring civilians in to understand and learn not only the history, but what's going on today is so important. You know, and even with like 9-11, we, I'm not sure how much is covered like in history classes mm-hmm. on the different wars, but even with 9-11. So we don't want people to start, you know, forgetting about that. Something that unless you maybe live in New York and there's more coverage, a lot of people here around the country, do they know how sick a lot of these rescue workers are to this day? You know, a lot of, there's hundreds, there's kind of an estimate of about 2,000, but there's Many rescue workers who have already died from serving down at Ground Zero because of all the chemicals and the toxins. Yeah, that's something that I didn't know, like, because, like you said, it's not really publicized on the news. And so how do you know if you don't document it? Yes. You know, we think of the PTSD, which is another thing that, you know, we'd definitely be covering in the education center, both for military and first responders. So maybe people think of the PTSD with the 9-11, but there are so many people sick. You know, when the, the towers fell, you know, in each tower it was 110 stories. So you can imagine when they imploded and all that dust and all those building materials and chemicals, and then those workers breathe that in for weeks and months at a time. So there's a lot of cancer. There's just a lot of illnesses that are going along with this 9-11, and many have died. A lot of firefighters, you know, police, but they're seeing it more and more. I mean, sometimes there might even be multiple people in in a week or in a month that are are dying from these 9-11. So that will only continue to increase. Yeah, wow. That's, that's, That's the... One of the, I can't think of the word, but you know, the ripple effects of mm-hmm. that day, it was more than just the people who died, but also the people who were there working cleanup and were exposed to all that stuff. And now, like 20 years later, they're dying. And that's, that's crazy. And it's really kind of sad and scary. Oh. You know, because we have to remember also that people from all 50 states came to New York to help in some form with cleaning up down at Ground Zero. So there are people sick in all 50 states. And again, that may be something that doesn't get out. And mm-hmm. then you think of all the police that were down there and the firefighters doing their work and the military that was brought in, National Guards or whatever, all those people were exposed. Yeah, that's so true. We, yeah, so we do have to make sure that there's a lot of things that we do want to, to cover in our education center. That's why we think this, this Veterans Memorial is such an important project to be doing. Yeah, and I remember when we talked on the phone, were you talking about recording stories or trying to figure something out like that? Is that something? Yes. Okay. Yes. In the education center, besides that portion where we'll be teaching people a lot of different things, we're going to have classrooms meeting rooms, a restaurant, a chapel, 
then we also want to have a recording studio because we find that a lot of people, especially with Vietnam, a lot of these um, people didn't necessarily talk about their service. But, you know, maybe if they are coming to our memorial and whether it's the Vietnam Wall or 9-11 or Iraq or Afghanistan, whatever, after they see that, if they are at the point where they would like to share their story, we want to be able to offer a safe place for them to tell their story. And either if they want that people can hear that, that's something that we can show, you know, clips inside the education center, that's fine. Or if they want it perfectly um, confidential, you know, strictly for themselves or their family, then we will honor that. But again, this is a way for them to get this out and maybe help them in some way. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of healing in telling your story. And sometimes it's really hard to even, even if you want to share it, to know how to share it or even what words to say. So I think that's like a really powerful thing that I'm really excited about. I know that my uncle served in Vietnam. And when I did my deployment series, when I, when I was still just blogging, I asked him if he would answer some questions. And at first he was very closed off to sharing his experience. And I, I could tell from his answers because of having deployed that he was having just a hard time opening up. And so I respected that and told him, thank you for the the answers that you gave me, even if they weren't the best Mm -hmm. answers, but they were the truth of how he was feeling. And it took about three months, but three months later, he said, I reread my answers. They were horrible. And here's my new answers. And I learned so much about Vietnam and his experience. And I'm hopeful that it was healing for him. I know that he just, he's either going to go on his honor. I think he's going on his honor flight next year. And I feel hopeful that, you know, he's able to find closure because he, he was, when he first told me it was all bad and when he told me the second time there was the, still the bad part of being deployed to Vietnam but also some stories that I never expected to hear. That's it. Unless we were there, I think it's hard if not impossible to try to think that we understand or really know what they went through. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I was interviewing the rescue workers from 9-11, I made sure that I told them, I says, I will not even pretend to understand what you've been through. But again, I think it is a good that they can, you know, open up, you know, and express that and tell their story. So we're hoping that um, people will want to come into the recording studio. Yeah, it sounds like you have such a great project. How would people get in contact with you if they want to help support you in any way? We have our website. It is rememberrally.org and rally is R-A-L-L-Y. So they can go on there. There's information about it. There's also a, it's about, I think, nine minutes long. There is a military tribute video. And it's just, you know, different pictures from military and even some of 9-11. But it's very interesting to kind of watch. It goes very, very quickly. And make sure you've got the music on. And especially at the end, and you'll understand why. Um, It's important to have the music on. But watch that video. And that really tugs at the heart, too. And it's like, okay, this is why we need to be doing a memorial like this. Yeah. And I will put the link to rememberrally.org in the show notes. So if you type it in and you can't find it, you can always go back to the show notes, show notes and be able to find it there. And do you have anything else you want to add to the interview before I let you go? 
I just appreciate you letting us talk about this project. Uh, we just think it is so important. You know, it's timely. There's so many things that respectful things that we want to do, so many things that we want to teach people. Uh, we think it's great that people can come from anywhere in, in the country, um, even people from other countries, I think, will come and visit something like this. Um, so anything that people can do to support us, help spread the word, anything like that would be greatly appreciated. That is awesome. And I do have one last question. I try and end every interview with this question. So what would you tell girls who are considering joining the military? I think being in the military is a wonderful experience. You know, even if people wouldn't go in for two years or four years or whatever, just going through, even if they went through basic training as part of, you know, a a person starting to, to grow and expand and mature, I think something like basic training is great or learning the skills or whatever. But going back to the females, I think it's wonderful. There's so many opportunities out there and so many bright kids, you know, and I know if we should be calling them kids, but so many bright people that, you know, could be joining the military and what they gain from just the, the subject matter that they're going into, whatever field they're going into, they'll learn from that. But then just the people you meet, the traveling that you do, it's a wonderful experience and I would just really recommend it. Thank you so much for being a guest today on the podcast. I really enjoyed hearing your story and I'm so glad that you had such a positive experience in the military. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military. Women of the Military.